Hey there, it's great to be with you today. Uh, if you've been journeying with us over the last few weeks, you'll know that we're in the middle of a series called 40 Days of Intimacy. We've looked at slowing down to help us be present and connect with God. We've explored spiritual formation and the idea that God is forming us into his likeness for those around us. Sarah taught us the importance of seeking God in the mess of life and Phil unpacked how our personalities can affect how we relate uh, and how we are with God. And if you miss any of this, don't worry, you can catch up on our YouTube channel. Which brings me to today. Uh, I'm going to be digging deeper into what intimacy actually is uh, and showing us how it's always been God's desire for us. Now, for most of us who've been exposed to church culture, intimacy is a familiar buzzword that we hear a lot. Uh, for me, some of the people I respect and admire most talk about and seem to embody this idea of intimacy. Uh, but what is it and why should we want it? Well, intimacy is defined as a close familiarity or friendship. It's the fruit of life done closely with someone. It's being exposed to another's thought processes, their joys and frustrations. Uh, it's not merely a spatial proximity, but a deep trust and knowledge of the other. It's pretty incredible then that we're talking about intimacy and closeness and a trusting relationship with God being up close and personal with the creator of the universe, the holy one who holds all things together. But intimacy has always been God's hope and intention. Now, some of you uh, will know that throughout January, I challenged myself to read the whole Bible. Uh, it was great, amazing to be exposed to the journey of scripture and see God's character demonstrated again and again. So if you'll indulge me, I'm going to fly through some of the Bible now and show you how intimacy has always been God's desire. So then... In the beginning, before the world was made, there God was, Father, Son, and Spirit, in perfect community, lacking nothing. And they decide to make mankind, Adam and Eve. Now, have you ever asked yourself why God made them and why he made us? Well, we know that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-sufficient. In other words, he didn't need us. It's not like there was a job uh, in heaven that God couldn't do and he needed some help. Um, instead, he demonstrated his desire. He made man with his own hands and in his image, he breathed into them the breath of life. It was an overflow and expression of love. Anyway, we know what happens next in the story. Uh, it takes a turn as mankind breaks trust and damages intimacy with God by choosing the advice of a snake over the word of God. And because of God's holiness, mankind had to leave Eden and the immediate presence of God with it. As time goes on, the story spirals more and more out of control, with mankind persistently choosing their own desires instead of trusting God, splintering their already broken intimacy with him. In contrast, though, God shows time and time again his commitment to the people he made. He chose Israel as his people and gave the Ten Commandments and the law to Moses. For most of us reading the Old Testament, this exhausting list of rules and laws sounds like a burden, but it was actually a merciful freedom, the start of God's master plan of reconciliation. Instead of leaving the people to their own devices, the law was a way of life and a framework that enabled a holy God to be with a rebellious people. It gave them ways of addressing their failures and weaknesses while still being led by the presence of God. 
God gave instructions to house the Ten Commandments and his presence in an ornate box called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark was later put in a tent called the Tabernacle uh, and then a building called the Temple. And what's crazy about these things is the attention to detail. All of these steps were thought through and calculated by God. Each action was an opportunity for relationship. Even in their design, we see imagery from the Garden of Eden. Things like pomegranates and palm trees were carved and embossed into the architecture, reminding the Israelites of a time where mankind had unhindered nearness to God and giving them hope that God would make a way for this to happen fully in the future. You see, even in this time, God was searching for intimacy. Let's look at an example. Everyone's favourite Sunday school hero, King David. Before we even meet him, we learn that he is, as he later becomes known, a man after God's own heart. The prophet Samuel is sent to Jesse to find uh, the king God wanted over Israel. And God instructs Samuel not to look for the obvious choice, saying man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. David shows us the intimacy that God longs for. He knows God's character and as such the things that matter to God matter to him and become his priority. In his famous victory over the giant Goliath, David is outraged and incensed that the Israelites were cowering in fear. And even as a boy, he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David's relationship with God and knowledge of who uh, God was and is eclipsed the fear of Goliath. Later on, David set his mind on a new mission. The Ark of the Covenant uh, that housed the law given to Moses in the presence of God had been stolen under the reign of the previous king Saul. Israel was bereft of worship and David longed to bring the ark back to Jerusalem to demonstrate to the entire nation that worshipping God was the most important thing that they could do. So David gathered the entire nation, every single person, and they recovered it together. And what's more, they carried it all the way back. After all, the presence of God was always meant to be carried by humans. David wasn't perfect though. He messes up pretty spectacularly, but how he responds sets him apart. Immediately after his worst moment, an ugly affair that ended in murder, he gave God his broken and contrite heart. In Psalm 51, David cries out to God saying, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. This is the intimacy God longs for. He doesn't hide but embodies heart posture that prioritizes relationship. David knows that his actions broke trust with God and created a divide. And so he repents and comes close to God. And his words are telling. He says, cast me not from your presence. You see, David knew that intimacy with God is to be cherished above all else. After all, it was him that exclaimed, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Ultimately, though, the requirements of the law in the Old Testament weren't sustainable. There are stunning moments of faithfulness from God, but the Israelites just can't do it. They're too corrupt, too selfish, too sinful. God desires a people that will walk with him in holiness, that will embody his values and find their fulfillment in him. And all of this leads to Jesus. 
Now, if you're exploring faith or you need a reminder, let me tell you about Jesus. He is breathtaking. Jesus came to earth as a man, the creator of the universe, stepping into the world he created. And unlike us, he didn't mess up. His motives were never mixed. He loved people perfectly. He lived completely selflessly without anger or greed and demonstrated how God wants us to live. All the while, never compromising and never falling short where we did. Jesus climbed into the pit with us, but he didn't leave us there. He chose freely to die in our place, taking all of our mess, our faithlessness and shame, and he took the punishment we deserved. And as he died on the cross, he destroyed the division of sin. You see, sin has always stopped us from being intimate with God. God is holy, and so to be close to him, we must also be holy. And so as Jesus destroyed sin, making us pure and clean, he gave us the opportunity to have a confident relationship with him. Jesus was the embodiment of God's desire for relationship. The story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10 shows further God's vision for intimacy. Jesus and the disciples were walking through a village when Martha invited them into her home. By this point, Jesus had already healed people, cast out demons, raised people from the dead. Oh, and by the way, fed the 5,000. So uh, as you can imagine, Martha was keen to make a good impression and host well. I imagined her running around the house, preparing food, making sure nothing was out of place and ensuring her guests had everything that they needed. As she bustles through to bring refreshments, she notices her sister sat fully relaxed at Jesus' feet, taking in every word. And she can't believe it. She says to Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do the work for my, by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. If anything typifies this 40 days of intimacy series, it's this. Martha is so concerned with doing and running around and doing the things and they're good things, but they're just not the best thing. Mary has chosen what is better, Jesus said. Not doing, but being, being with Jesus, taking in every word and focusing on the smile on his face just enjoying his presence. When was the last time you allowed yourself to just be with Jesus? Not to obsess with things, but just be. Jesus has some really challenging words on this. In Matthew 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. God is looking for people that will draw close to him, that will prioritize knowing him over doing things for him. It's pretty brutal, right? These words are kind of hard to reconcile and maybe they even sound a little harsh. But I think they demonstrate God's true longing for relationship. You see, God is all about the heart. He desires open, honest relationship. Countless times in the Old Testament, we see verses like these. 
for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Or, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. The words change, but the sentiment is largely the same. God prefers a heart close to his over offerings and gestures. He sees past the gift to the heart and the motive behind it. You see, God isn't transactional. Religious box ticking doesn't move his heart. Oh, that we would draw close to him as a person, that we would relate to him, be with him and spend time with him. Because it's as we do that, that we learn to hear his voice more clearly, to know the things that are on his heart and the things that are important to him. Yes, obedience is important. To do the work of God, of course, is important. But it's vital that our doing flows from being. Jesus put it best when asked by the Pharisees what the greatest commandment was. He gave them two. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, the do what Jesus did stuff, the loving people and administering justice. These things are expressions of the greatest commandment. They flow from it. With that distinction made, let's look at one last intent for intimacy in the life of Jesus. All through the story of scripture, one beautiful thread weaves its way through. Partnership. We see a God who's not far off, but intimately involved. He is neither the domineering dictator nor the passive onlooker. Instead, God seeks partnership, whether it's through kings or judges or prophets in the Old Testament or in the New Testament where everyone gets to play. God desires to do things with us. He shares his heart with us and teaches us what's important and then asks if we want to help in restoring his perfect vision for humanity. Jesus spent time with his disciples doing exactly this, teaching and modeling, letting them see him do miracles and love people and then sending them to do the same. Towards the end of his life on earth, Jesus says something completely mind-blowing. He tells the disciples that he will soon be going to be with his father, but that in his place, the Holy Spirit would come and dwell with them. This is the person of the presence of God that the Israelites were trying to carry in the Old Testament. The pure, holy presence of God. And Jesus tells them that the Holy Spirit would live in them. Instead of dwelling in a lavish building, he would live in a fragile human heart. I can barely wrap my head around this. It's scandalous that we are the holy temple of God. And it's crazy that God entrusts us with his great manifesto and empowers us to put it into practice, to fight for justice and extend mercy, to love the outcast and the orphan, to heal the sick and raise the dead, and ultimately be the ones to tell the world there's a way to be forgiven. There's a person who made them and knows them and loves them, and that through Jesus you can outlive death and be with the Father forever that God would entrust us with his plan for redeeming his children and that he wants to do it together with us, shows us how much he desires intimacy and relationship. So how do we respond to this intimacy and how do we cultivate it? We worship. Worship is every and any expression of reverence and adoration to God for all he is and all he's done. 
to worship is to bring to remembrance the greatness and beauty of God and respond accordingly. Worship is a verb. It's an action that requires a choice. Worship and intimacy are two sides of the same coin. Worship is the response to the intimate way God loves us and the intentional way he saved us. One leads to the other. To worship is to draw close to God. And as we do so, we see who he is, his character and his nature. And this leads us back to intimacy as we get to know him better. As we worship, we cultivate intimacy. It's a byproduct. Look at the Israelites in the Old Testament. When they're not worshipping, they're not intimate. And it's actually pretty stark. When they turn from worshipping God and uh, from living his way, it doesn't go well for them. Their relationship with God breaks down. And of course it does. They stop drawing close to God and they turn their eyes to other things. Relationships are grown and maintained. If I stopped talking to my friends or stopped hanging out or stopped being intentional with them, my relationship and my intimacy with them would suffer. And it's the same with God. Let me encourage you. This isn't a guilt trip or a command. Relationship and intimacy with God is an invitation. He invites us close and he longs for us to be close. We've seen again and again God's relentless pursuit of relationship with his children in the Bible. And I've only picked a handful of examples. It's my prayer that we would be a church that is intimate with God. That we would worship in the tough times and the good times. We often say that worship is our highest priority. Well, it's my belief that worship is the heartbeat of the church. The intimate place is the heartbeat of the believer. It's the place we must start and the place we can't help but come back to. It's as we worship and as we respond to the astonishing kindness and greatness of God that we glimpse his heart for the world. It's the place we come in our brokenness when we've fallen short. It's as we worship and as we're intimate and vulnerable that the Holy Spirit moulds us into the likeness of Jesus as he gently convicts and encourages us. This morning, I think God wants to remind you that he wants to be close to you. To remind you that he paid the highest price so that you could approach him confidently and enjoy his presence. Maybe you've never really given intimate relationship with God much thought. Or maybe like I often do, you forget. Maybe you're not even sure that it's possible. But the reality is that you were made for relationship with God. And it's in that relationship with him that we find everything that we need. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, I thank you so much that you demonstrated the Father's relentless will to pursue relationship with us. That it got to the point where you were willing to die so that we could be close to you. And I come against every single lie and every single wonky thinking that would uh, tell anybody that they can't be close to Jesus. That they haven't tried hard enough or there's this thing that's in the way. The reality is, is that because Jesus died, because he shed his blood and was raised, that you can be close to him. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that you begin to speak to people right now. That you'd meet them where they're at. 
Holy Spirit, would you pour your immeasurable love on every single person that's listening? Jesus, God. Thank you for your grace, God. I had a picture of a heart that was uh, encased in in metal and that God was peeling back these pieces uh, these pieces uh, that I think represented um, you know sin when we mess up when we don't draw close to him the lies and the things that uh, would make us believe that we can't come close and the hardness of heart and he was stripping them back piece by piece to to get to this um, beating raw heart and that is what God wants it's scary to be there sometimes because we can feel exposed. But God wants your un-baggaged uh, like heart. He wants the real thing. He doesn't want any of the other stuff. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take each and every person on a journey of just taking that stuff away, anything that might not need to be there. I thank you that you desire friendship and relationship. And for anyone that doesn't know Jesus yet, maybe you haven't given your life to him, maybe you haven't uh, started a journey with him, and uh, if that's you, he desires relationship with you to the point that he would die for you. And so, yeah, we... Uh, if you want to pray along with me, why don't we pray and then you can uh, start your relationship with Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, uh, I'm sorry for the things that I've done that uh, grieve you, the things that I've done when I've messed up. And I thank you that you've shown me, maybe today, that you desire relationship with me to the point where you would send your son to die to take away my sin. And I thank you that you died so that I can be with you forever. And so I give you my heart. I give you my, uh, my life. And I ask that you would uh, use it for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.